welcome to today's Tax and Tell podcast. It's our great pleasure to welcome Joran Berg, Regional Sales Director for the US for EFI Optitex. Joram is a renowned industry expert and has, over the last 15 years, implemented and driven a new generation of pioneering software and innovative technologies that have revolutionised how we work in the textile industry. In an age where every industry is being disrupted by digital tech, we sometimes forget that it has taken time to get where we are today, and Joram and I will discuss the multiple innovations that have facilitated this journey. There is no question that technology has aligned across multiple industries, enabling global digitization. And wherever you are today in your digital business journey, the future is certain. The textile industry is embracing digital tech and the workplace has changed forever. Let's hear about Yoram's journey and about how, with the Optitex brand, his vision and drive for change has transformed how we make garments today. Yoram, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yoram, you were born in Israel and you now live in the US. So um, can you tell us about your early journey and how you began your career in, in CAD? Yeah, um, actually out of all places, it was born by mistake. It's um, a gentleman that I met on one of the flights. Um, As you mentioned, I was born in Israel, but at the age of 20 or so, I left the country and I moved to live in Thailand out of all places. That was also when I met the original founder of the company, um, you know, waiting in the lounge in one of those airports. We became friends. Several several years later, we started uh, working together. He asked me, hey, why don't you come and do what you've been doing so well in Asia in my business, which is growing a new business uh, and putting it uh, um, uh, at the place where it should be. And the rest is history. Wow. What a journey. (laughs) Okay. So over the, over the last 15 years, your passion for garment manufacturing has, has driven Optitex without question. It's been on my radar for very, very, very many years. Um, and it really is the best 3D CAD technology in the world. How, how did that technology come, come to grow, come into place? This is also an interesting story. I, of course, joined the company uh, um, somewhere in the middle of its uh, uh, life, if you will. And uh, at that point in time, the company was starting to play with the whole notion of 3D. 3D was just emerging as, as a transition from more traditional industries like uh, automotive, uh, architecture, um, and so on and so forth, and coming into the apparel business. There were a lot of challenges over there, which is primarily if in the other industries you're dealing with hard surfaces, then in this industry you're dealing with CAD, sorry, with fabric. And that being said, there is an element which does not exist in the other businesses. So it started with some sort of an experiment in like, how will fabric actually drape? And what will it look like if we try to visualize it? I mean, we wear a shirt, we we, uh, put maybe a a window curtain on, and they drape differently, depends on the angle and so on and so forth. So Abitech started with that somewhere in, uh, I would say, the early 2000s and um, started to put that into the mainstream of our products, selling it to small businesses initially, just to try and test the water and get to see what it looks like. And from that, we gathered a lot of feedback, moved it on to become a mainstream product, which now, by the way, uh, enables companies, not just in the apparel business, but also in the non-apparel business. When you think about composite materials and so on and so forth, that product lends itself very nicely over there as well. Yeah, it does. It's incredible, isn't it? And I guess, really, I guess it's born from the gaming industry, isn't it? When you get to the VR side of things. 
It's very true. Um, interestingly enough, you know, I was visiting some of the movie uh, um, studios out in the U.S. and I just saw how a garment looks like before it gets to the screen where we're sitting there in the audience and so enjoying the movie. A lot of hard work there, I tell you that. Um, trying to make the garment look realistic yeah. and definitely when it comes to the apparel business where people should be wearing it. This ain't no movie anymore. This is real life. Yeah, exactly. If but people, people should yeah, be wearing it. Yeah, they, they often don't appreciate the technology and the, the knowledge that you have to have in order to make that creation and then to generate the code to do it is an incredible skill. It is, it is. I don't normally tend to compare this industry uh, making a garment to fit properly and 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 get to the market in, with the right sizing and and the right look and feel of course uh, to the medical industry if you will a patient is on the table there's only one way get them out of their life <laughs> absolutely yeah definitely so uh, so moving on then how how do you think well uh, you'll have a, an incredible perspective on this how has the fashion plate marketplace changed in the last 10 years Oh, quite a bit. I think Huge, it was, yeah. I was speaking to one of my uh, customers just late last year. Um, she was telling me, I think the apparel, uh, the, this business, as she was referring to it, have changed so much in the last six months than it did in the last two years. So the pace of change is becoming something that is a lot more challenging for companies to uh, kind of get caught up with, yeah. uh, understand and know how to tackle it. So if way back then it was us going to the mall, uh, there were some uh, uh, stands and racks, you know, full of garments. I saw maybe the shirt that I'm wearing right now, inside small, medium, large, extra large, etc., etc. And then in all possible colorways, we used to stroll between those, those uh, racks and say, oh, you know, let's just move in and look at that one over there. That sentence, let's look at that one over there, is probably killing the whole season that somebody worked on, right? And we yeah. just you know, venturing off to the next rack. So I think that you know now when we go to the mall, and I and I blame the uh, you know the uh, technology, if I can use the word blame for that, um, because you know way back then when we looked at our cell phone and all we could see was the time, now that was it. Now when we look at our smartphone, then we're looking and saying, okay, if there's no bunch of messages out there, there must be something wrong with my phone. So the expectation is for things to happen like right now. And when we go to the mall and we see the same collection time and again, time and again, time and again, let's say week after week along the course of three weeks, then the next question is, why would I want to go there? Now, I want to go to the mall for all these great experiences, but definitely I think the change that we've seen in the last 10 years was shifting from it's okay to have it the way it is into, I want to see more and I want to see it fast. Um, and that is kind of where re online retail came to be a very, very strong player um, in the last 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess with um, in the last two or three years, I guess the growth of the influencer population and the fact that they get the prime seats on the catwalk and the actual fashion brands themselves driving it straight to retail has, um, has changed things forever because it has to be, well, quite often, from the catwalk, it's already on sale. So every Absolutely. yeah, there's the trends don't exist like they used to, do they? They um, they're instant. They're very much instant. In a recent research I read from Boston Consulting Group, they say that uh, it used to take a trend about a year to be fully dispersed into the mainstream, and their conclusion was that it's now only three to five weeks. Now we may argue if it's three to five or six to ten or nine to fifteen, but it's not a year. Okay, so yeah. somebody sitting here and conceiving, you know, maybe spring nine, spring 21, uh, most chances for that trend is not to be fully there by the time that trend hits the market. 
because things are changing really fast. And I was just coming back from a trip to India and Sri Lanka, and, and I've heard that one of the local manufacturers, quite a sizable player, uh, op operating and developing four uh, Western brands, was asked to complete a development from design to delivery in under 14 days. And um, and, and we're talking two opposite sides of, of the globe. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. And I think that's also what's pushing digital print technologies as well, isn't it? Because the, those manufacturers have to get access to that cloth it, with that speed. So you can't possibly go through the analog process with that and produce the meters that you need in that time frame. It's not, it's not doable. So, you have, so the Far East, etc., they have to move to digital print technologies. And I think that the technology is there right now. Um, I think, you know, when you talk about pigment printing, reactive printing and so on and so forth, the, the technologies are available. The collection of the technologies to form one clear streamlined process, which we tend to refer to as the micro factory, um, not in terms of size, more like in terms of the quickness of how you respond to trends and bring goods to the market is probably going to be the way to go. Just like when we spoke uh, just a couple of minutes ago and we mentioned that, uh, you know, consumer patience, when you think about it, is, is actually coming down. When you look at statistics, you see that maybe 89% uh, um, of the millennials are expecting for whatever they purchase to arrive in two days or less. Um, then, then you understand that we're going into, I need it now, I want it now, and I want it to be looking good and accurate. So I think that the concept of digital printing in connection with product development, in connection with product design, in connection with the ability to print what you need in opposed to sourcing fabric rolls for the sake of having inventories, it's probably going to lead a, a, um, a change from, as I tend to relate to it sometimes, from you know, when I compare retail 2.0 to 3.0, which is my own terminology, if 2.0 was shifting from brick and mortar to online, or at least migration from brick and mortar to online, then 3.0 is probably going to be shifting from inventories to little to no inventories, just like you said before. No, absolutely. And I think the other, the other great statistic I heard the other day was that 62% of millennials prefer, prefer to buy a sustainable brand. So not only have you got to do it fast, but it's also got to be sustainably sourced and sustainably manufactured, which puts a huge, huge... Um, Ooh, a huge workload on the manufacturing community, but one that eventually drives fashion to a much better place. Yeah, don't forget, millennials come with a different agenda than the previous generations. They, they certainly do. I have a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they certainly do. So, so tell us about Optic Software and the suite and how those tools really facilitate design, and man, design to manufacture, and as I just said, in, in a very sustainable format. Yeah, so I think that, again, sustainability can lend itself to anywhere from materials to technologies. Anything that, that cuts the, the analog process or manual processes, it's kind of where businesses want to be um, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, in the Optitech scenario, and, and uh, interestingly enough, we just launched a new website uh, as we speak this morning, so it kind of have a very nice visual way of looking at the process. Uh, once you hover over some of the images in there. Basically, we start with the design portion. Um, the product we'll be introducing to the market this year will be a 3D design. So for designers to be able to go on and on the software, um, on a Mac or a PC, and create a very nice way of uh, garment representation, uh, working in real time in the software and so on. That's the, that I call it the conceiving stage. That's where you know it's incubating and things are happening from a 
creation perspective. And then you go into the pattern-making environment, and the strong link between the two components is becoming more critical than ever before. Because you don't want just to design things, you want them to be then be applicable to product development or be connected to product development, again, in order to shorten the cycle, in order to shorten the time it takes the designer to interact without knowing, actually, with someone on the other side of the globe who works in a factory. Yeah, otherwise you're duplicating the workload all the time, aren't you? Exactly. One of the things you don't want to do is create redundancy. And definitely in the current market environment, there are some design tools out there which are pretty good, but it creates redundancy. You have one world existing on one side and then you have another world existing on the other side. How do you combine the two worlds together? You can only do that if you do have the strong connection between design and development. We go through the rest of the development cycle in a very quick way. Then you then develop your patterns, of course, uh, um, for accuracy, fit, sizing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you can also do all kinds of customizations onto these patterns, and basically address various sizes that are not necessarily standard sizes. It's only doable and possible when you have a technology that allows you to do that, grading them accordingly, preparing them for production, whether it's mass production, maybe digital printing output, where you go from the marker making, which is the optimization of the material, directly onto a digital print, primarily for sublimation purposes and others. Uh -huh. And then you can also automate a good chunk of it, because I think that what dominates this, this, this this development market this day and age is the need for automation. No more do companies want to search for files in a certain way and find a piece inside the style in a certain way in the old ways. They want to automate information gathering. They want to automate the product development. They want to automate the costing portion of their business because costing is kind of where the biggest chunk of the worries lies, right? I mean, like, how much is this going to cost me? How do I know that my manufacturers are actually tagging along with me on the ride and trying to save money so I can get to the market with the right price? And then on you go from there. So in, in the EFI world, what we thought was, hey, we have a lot of these components. Why don't we just marry them together? And the beautiful thing of what we call the end-to-end -end solution of EFI from design and all the way to the corrugated box that gets to the consumer home is actually components that we do have access to. And at the tail end of the day, what we've done is connecting them in a logical way together. Yeah, as you say, just automating the whole suite of tools, really. You have to. I mean, yeah. just doing it in a manual way. One of the things we're introducing next week at our um, uh, industry, uh, at a corporate event, rather, is our version 19, where you look at 3D, for example, and you say, well, you know what? I can make good-looking look, good 3D images. I can develop 3D inside our development platform, but I need to really scale it up and be able to automate a lot of what I'm doing inside the 3D into producing and anywhere from automating stitching processes and all the way to maybe producing hundreds of those rendered images, but without having, you know, mo mo mostly like a human intervention in there. A lot of those situations is what we we're addressing in version 19, where we automate a good chunk. We're allowing processes that were not doable before to happen in this new version of Optitech. So very much, we're becoming a very strong player in the life of those who are searching and looking for faster, better, more economical, more sustainable ways of doing product development, again, in the sake of hitting the market a lot faster than ever before. And how, how do you see the future for placement printing of actual digital patterns and artworks into the pattern nesting? Do you see that? Do you see that as a huge step forward for the future? So that you're actually only using the ink that you need, and you're printing literally into those shapes. 
Yeah, I think that when you talk about digital print or digital textile development, if yeah. you will, so that's part of our uh, new offering under the EFI umbrella called Fiery Design Pro. And Fiery Design Pro is a very smart, um, it's actually a couple of plugins that are pretty smart because they're plugged into Illustrator for the vector shapes and then Photoshop for the raster images. Um, you can then just operate yourself in a very quick way. So there's no other environment in where you need to learn how to use the tool because you're using actually the same tools that you are always used and so accustomed to. Yeah. Um, color separation, color reduction. Uh, you want to design woven's, you want to design knits. You want to do sketching and filling and produce your line sheet in a very quick way just by applying the various graphics inside, say, a line sheet of shirts or pants or whatnot. Doable. And I think it's just a wonderful way to start dealing with the design aspect from uh, a textile perspective. Yeah content that we then consume inside the Optitex 3D image. There is a very natural extension to the textile creation. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I was talking about this the other week, actually, that the skill set of the designer just keeps growing and growing and growing, <laughs> doesn't it? As you add in all of these new tools and new, new areas of the manufacturing process that previously they didn't touch, it was left to somebody else. But exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think that, and I think that you know, when you look at that, you say, um, look, what does the designer want to focus on? Um, I think one of the things they want to focus on is uh, the ability for them to work fast, but also in an environment that they're familiar with. The last thing designers like, I always like to joke about it, is um, learn anything new or work on a PC, right? So <laughs> with that being said, um, I think that designers are very keen in understanding the dynamics of what happens after their design process, but without the burden of learning anything new. And that's what we're addressing for them with the Fiery Design Pro component and the up and coming Optitex 3D design. Work in an environment you're familiar with, do whatever you're familiar with, but have an impact on anything that goes beyond your desk. No, it's incredible. And, and as designers are naturally curious, aren't they? You need to know every aspect of the produ production process, regardless of which department they're in, really, which is um, it's such a great step forward for the industry. Uh, we, we touched on this before, really, um, cloud technology, but it's a huge part of the process in that you can be in London and you can be manufacturing in Asia. You are connected using the cloud. And every piece of the technology is connected, isn't it? Absolutely, you have to. I mean, from a product development perspective, some of the components have to operate on a machine rather than the cloud. For example, you know, when you do 3D, yep. it consumes a very large portion of your CPU and your GPU, the graphic processor unit and uh, the CPU, the central processing unit. And I think that um, at the day or at the time when these components will be available for us over the cloud, of course, this will further enhance the experience and the speeds in which companies are able to work, not just in our industry, in every other industry, yeah. but definitely finding the other ways in how to um, leverage the content that we were creating on the machine itself, on the client side, onto the cloud is definitely areas that Optitex came up with. You know, one of them is the ability to showcase your collections. Uh, from all over the place using any web browser. And the second one, which is what we call collaborate environment, is uh, a work in process environment uh, which exists on the cloud where you can make all your callouts and all your changes and all your 
um, design intent uh, request, uh, populate fields with comments, uh, draw some errors and point them onto the garment in various locations. Like for example, hey, drop this armhole a little bit, or I don't like the excess fabric that exists here in the, uh, um, in the neckline. And drive all that stuff back and forth between east and west, maybe the other side of this building, the other side of the world. All the same for us. And that really prevents a development mistake from happening. And I think that that is uh, an amazing improvement to the current ways of how companies are working. Uh, let alone, I'm not even speaking about sending a physical sample for which you got to wait at least a couple of weeks. Yeah. But even with taking all those uh, uh, Photoshop, <clears throat> sorry, um, shots over camera, Excel sheets and the old fashioned ways in how companies used to deal with it up until now. No, yeah, I t totally agree with you. It is, it's really interesting that you can, you just, again, more sustainable, as you say, you're not having to create all of those samples, nor are you having to send them either, because people have incredible confidence in the software that they're using, so they will purchase. We'll talk about that a little bit later from the samples. One of the things I guess you'll agree with, and you'll know a lot more about this than me, is that the, the technology, all of the software that's been written has had to wait, I think, in, everyone had great ideas, but it had to wait in many ways for the, the graphics boards and the CPU technologies and the internet and all of those things to be able to be fast enough to generate the data in a small enough format that it can transfer backwards and forwards. That's very true. Very true. I think years ago it used to take about 20 minutes to render a single frame on, um, I would say, an advanced uh, um, desktop. Yeah. And now you can render it pretty much in live, uh, in real time, on an average desktop. I so. Know, yeah. A lot has changed in that respect that allows us, for example, in the Optitech software, you have like three levels of rendering. Of course, the native one that kind of takes the polygon, projects it onto the screen. We call, we were able to tell if you look and feel of that garment. Then you have the H HQR, which is high quality. All right, so the last, and then the last rendering component that Optitech offers is really where the most exciting part comes to play. And that's uh, a, a, what we call a real-time rendering, a photorealistic rendering, which allows the garment to look as good as it looks, as you'll check it out on our website, just like a real garment does. So three levels that totally satisfy the customer's needs from a visual perspective. Okay, that's great. Um, it, it's just so many incredible changes in this industry over the last few years. I look forward to, I'll have a good look through those. Yogram and, and see where we get to. Um, okay, um, next question. How do you think consumer purchasing behaviour and the agenda there is changing fashion manufacturing? We touched on this earlier, but it's it's getting faster and faster to marketplace. And um, do you think we're nearly there with the innovations? Do you think we've still got a long way to go? I think we have a way to go. I think the um Yes, the speed is, is on the increase. The need for brands and, and retailers to respond in those speeds is, is ever-growing and it's going to continue to grow. Uh, we did discuss about, you know, um, millennials. We talked about the Generation Z and we're speaking about every other one. We understand where the trend is going. I think that the components that are missing is, is are, are in a few levels. One is to be able to have a good virtual dressing room, you know, really a concept that will deliver to consumers the ability to not just look at garments in an amazing way online, but also to test them, if you will, 
by applying the right size of measurements and so on. And I think that, you know, there's all kinds of discussions around what's the right way to do it. I mean, should I scan myself, even in the privacy on my own, of my own home, should I really be undressing and getting my data online for privacy reasons and so on? I see some issues over there. And then, of course, the question of mass customization, meaning if we're getting uh, all kinds of products modified at really no additional cost and maybe a new look and a new feel, Sometimes in the car industry, they call it a facelift that happens even within the model uh, year. Can we have something like that in apparel? And should we not be paying anything extra for that? So there's all those things that are yet to come in the personalization way and, and, all until, uh, and until, of course, if you will, the, the delivery way, uh, all this personalization stuff is, is yet to come upon us. So I do see things going and moving forward, but I think there is still a way to go. Yeah, it's incredible. And I think we need to see, as you say, you know, the consumer needs to have that engagement, don't they? They have to feel part of the purchase. Um, and all of these th new technologies that we're using in manufacturing are, are going to come through to retail very, very quickly. And I sh I'm sure they will, because I think that when you have great ways to develop and visualize, then the next thing you want to do is leverage that content in a retail environment. Think about, for example, photo shoots, right? I mean, right now a brand needs to develop the whole line photo shoot the line, only then make the selection of what they're going to actually be adopting and selling. And with digital development, you can actually use all that information way ahead of time and be at the store happily selling much before the previous process. So when you look at it, you say, not only do, can I allow 3D image, for example, in that sense, to be so greatly looking, posted on my website, I can then take it very quickly into development and leverage that content into marketing, take that content and even uh, maybe personalize the box that I'm using in order to deliver the goods to my guests. Now we're calling them guests rather than market because we're online shoppers. And you create a very tight engagement in that sense, right? You create uh, stickiness, if you will, and you create uh, excitement. And someone says, hey, this thing that I just bought just got to me in my personalized box. So end-to-end -end solution is probably the first stage before you can go into those virtual dressing rooms and those other things that require a lot more technology to be in place. Yeah, and it's, it's mass customization, really, isn't it? It's, uh, I call it sometimes mass personalization. Personalization, more that's probably a yeah, good word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that anybody can, can change any aspect of what they're about to purchase. Yeah, and with technology, you can look, when you look at another aspect of the EFI business, corrugated packaging, there's a traditional analog manual rotary way in where you just deal with those brownish boxes. And there is the digital way where you can print seven color in a single pass print and personalize pretty much every box you have. So are they the same from a look and feel? Yes but not from the content that appears on the box, inside the box, etc. One will create a lot more engagement, the other one will probably be the standard way we know it. So all those things add together is what the consumer wants. It's about me, it's about how I shop, it's about what I want, and it's about how it's being delivered to me. Yeah, and, and talking of delivery, of course, speed, speed to the guest, <laughs> not the market. Speed to the guest, <laughs> yeah, using your words. So speed, speed to the guest, of course, really critical, and we touched on the micro factory thing here as well. And automation is, is solving so, so, so many of those issues. But what, I've, what I'm hearing a lot is that, you know, there are skill, skill gaps when people are trying to reshore. Um, and I wonder what your view is on some of the technologies that we're still missing in manufacturing and how quickly we can re-engage and re-skill, really, um, our workforces. 
Yeah, that's a very good topic. I think that one of the things we're missing is um, skilled labor in that sense. Um, I see it when I travel overseas that uh, in countries that uh, they were the unlikely ones to adopt technology, you get to see technology coming in. They understand that they have to change. I think that we uh, uh, over here in the United States definitely need to understand that uh, the landscape around us is changing. Um, operation, you know, of a software, for example, can be as easy as, you know, uh, king few functions on a terminal that drives maybe a cutting machine, but it could also mean being able to design in a very complex environment and being able to do it really fast. And as we said before, to affect the rest of the development stream as a consequence, I walked into some of my customers and, uh, the age of the, uh, most senior person driving the software that I saw there was 25 or 27 um, and I've seen places where the age of the operator of the software is in the late 50s etc. One carries the experience from all those years of development from understanding the ins and outs of it the other one says yes there is a, a back end to the process and I have to learn and I have to understand the fun fundamentals of, of how you develop but not necessarily do I need to stick to the old ways of doing it so I'm driving it in, in ways like I always look at my kids for example and how fast they're typing and they barely speak because all they do is type and I'm saying what's wrong with that so coming out of those meetings I was a changed person you know I looked at the younger generation and say you know what that's probably a great way of driving it forward so the skills that I'm seeing now and, and Optitex is installed in so many educational institutions in the United States Canada and other sides of the world other parts of the world uh, what I see is that uh, there is a need for a better way to um, learn how to operate these technologies. No longer do they are satisfied or are they satisfied with just teaching them how to making or fashion merchandising the old-fashioned way. They are asking for these new technologies to be brought in so they can equip the new generation with those tools they need in order to come out to the market. But we're still out in terms of having the right skill set in the marketplace. When companies are adopting our technologies, typically their second sentence is, where can I find more and better skilled labor to utilize this technology the right way? And you have to, I think, as you say, you have to learn from within. You have to, there has to be more of a mentoring program, et cetera, et cetera, throughout the world, I think, really, um, so that people can, can learn those skills and pass those skills on to the next generation. And our commitment as a, as a technology provider is to promote that. I mean, we cannot just sell software and hope for the best. We have to work hand in hand with the education industry to explain, promote, and help them develop the skill set required in order to address, um, you know, today's needs. I wouldn't even call them tomorrow's needs. Yeah, I mean, when you look at automation in the, um, the the car industry, for example, who would have thought Toyota can do what they do today? But I guess, you know, we see lots of, um, just moving on to our next question, we see lots of um, interesting videos here, there, and everywhere on Sobots. Have you, have, how do you feel about that technology? Do you think, because sewing is one of the huge, huge labor skills uh, with it re reshoring for sewn products that holds companies back, I think. Um, Sobots could be part of the production process, not all of it, but part of it. Have you seen anything incredible coming through that you think we're nearly there with? I think I've seen for the last couple of years uh, at least a handful of companies that are. Um, making the first steps and some 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 interesting steps in in automation of of, of sewing. 
Um, I've seen some of these technologies at trade events. I know some of these uh, players in the, uh, personally, and I think that this will be absolutely a necessary component in automating the product development and manufacturing. I mean, when you think about the technologies for design development and so on, they're pretty much in place and they're evolving, of course, you know, 3D technology automation within the 2D aspect of the business and so on. Digital printing, as we said before, then comes the most necessary component, which is sewing, right? Yeah. Or operating the production floor in a more logical way, anywhere from um, channeling pieces to the right sewing spots. In one of the visits I've had to to one of my customers in, in the Los Angeles area, a place with like a hundred sewers, which is rather big in the Los Angeles area. One of the challenges the factory manager was 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 mentioning to me was, well, I need them to sew faster. And I'm like, I think you need them to sew sooner because <laughs> from a geographical perspective, yeah. the piece was not located where it should be for the sewers to really sew a lot sooner. So there was a lot of dead spots. You didn't hear the production floor working as it should be. Now, repositioning that, having automation serving those uh, uh, necessary uh, um, ways of working, if you will, get the pieces in the right timing to the right person for the right uh, sewing, plus having the ability to run automation process in that sense, definitely a necessary component. So I'm encouraged with what I'm seeing out there. I think we're still a little time out before something will become fully, fully ready and fully, fully commercial. But these are really uh, uh, encouraging uh, things that I'm seeing out there. Yeah, it's on the horizon, but not yet. <laughs> yeah. It's what, what, getting there. It's getting there, and that's very much a necessary component. We'll have to have some patience. Absolutely. Yeah, we've uh, we've touched on Onyx question question throughout our talk actually, virtual reality and how we move forward to a new area of virtual retailing. I think. Did you have anything to add on that topic that we didn't get to before with regards to innovation? Is there anything that you that you've seen that? Um, that you'd like to mention? Yeah, I've seen some technologies that are actually trying to maybe set the pace for what's ahead of us. Um, most of them still require a good chunk of behind-the-scene work, which kind of, um, you know, not allowing those technologies to become a front-end solution, not just yet. But I think that um, in, in the evolution of going from you know, anywhere from manual pattern making to product development to 3D technology to 3D for designers, we're kind of climbing steps. And those steps are necessary in order for the trust to be there in place for anybody that's going to be consuming this that doesn't really care slash know much about what it looks like at the creation stage. So, for example, you know, uh, web developers and so on, they just want to deal with the content. You talk about virtual dressing room, they just want to deal with the content. They want to be able to get it very good looking, fast, and if you will, playable, that they'll be able to adjust and make all kinds of changes without necessarily going all the way back to the point of inception and making that change. So I think that once the technology will be trusted in all the previous levels, be deployed in all the previous levels, that's kind of where you're going to see the next level being Come, coming to play and saying, hey, I'm ready to consume this content and I'll find the creative ways to project it onto my consumers. In my view, it has to be a situation where you're able to, um, suppose, maybe if you call it like input your body measurements onto some sort of an online avatar or something like that, uh, maybe without or by solving the privacy issues we raised before yeah. and then yeah. be able to live have a garment live draped right in front of you so you're not picking from a library of mix and match you're actually working with a live garment hey show it to me on myself 
in a small, medium, large, extra large, etc., etc., and the whole thing happens for you. Uh, yes. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that whole sector of the marketplace, I guess, to a certain extent, will be held back a little bit by legislation, won't it? As you say, for privacy laws, etc., etc., and making sure that everything's thoroughly, it's almost like banking, it's your personal details. Exactly. Who holds the data? Who has the data? You know, and that's a big privacy thing. Yeah, that's great. Okay, last question, Yogram. Sure. I'm so conscious that we've um, taken up so much of your time. Um, sustainable manufacturing, um, we've touched on that again throughout our talks today, but what would be your vision for a sustainable supply chain of the future? I think that the um, the word sustainability kind of was dominating all these podcasts, and I'm very happy that it was. Um, I think from a manufacturing perspective, what you'll want to have is a clear direction and a clear channel of communication going from the brand, from the re uh, mainly the brand slash the retailer, and onto the manufacturing. I want to see the manufacturing uh, uh, partner understanding that uh, there is no need for the old ways of what I normally see in New York City, where I sit in, um, is a FedEx truck and a UPS truck parked in each and every one of the blocks. Um, actually, way back then, it was three of them on each and every one of the blocks. Now I get to see actually two, so we're kind of moving in a nice direction. But that's the only place on earth that you'll see a FedEx and a UPS truck, and way back then, even a DHL truck parked on every street, and all they do is uh, bringing in samples, taking away samples, so it's a manual process. I want to see that thing shifting into digital. I want to see the manufacturers understanding there is no need to do a physical sample. If you can actually print the sample, not source a role for that sample, and deliver a virtual ready to be, uh, ready to be presented and the decision can consequently be made on that sample. So this manufacturing component of samples has to be reduced. And as a consequence, we'll be hitting the market with much more of what we can sell rather than developing inventories and hope for the best. Yeah, that's great. Oh, Joran, thank you so much for your time today. I th your, your vision and your, your history within this industry is renowned. And um, we really value you taking a, almost an hour <laughs> out of your busy schedule to talk to us today. Thank you so much. And uh, You're very welcome. And thank you for the opportunity. Oh, we look forward to meeting again soon. Sure thing. You take care and have a nice day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.